Hello, it's Bill Bonner, and it's Bill Bonner's podcast, Tuesday, the 27th of August, 2019. Today and tomorrow, we'll try to get our bearings. Where are we? Stocks are still near an all-time high. Unemployment is at record lows. The expansion, which began 10 years ago, is now the longest on record. Nobody knows when it will begin, but a prudent investor should expect these conditions to change. World trade is slowing. Bonds are signaling a recession ahead. The entire spectrum of U.S. Treasury bonds is now trading below 2% yields, with $17 trillion of bonds worldwide with yields below zero. No one knows what that means, but it appears to be the largest bond bubble, high prices, remember, equal low yields, since the 15th century. In the stock market, volatility has increased. Each headline or tweet about the trade war with China seems to bring on a twitch. Here at the diary, we believe that Mr. Trump wants to settle up with the Chinese and proclaim victory. But wars can take on a life of their own, and Mr. Z may not want to cooperate. He may believe that he can hurt Mr. Trump's 2020 re-election campaign by continuing the trade war. Meanwhile, investors have learned that it pays to front-run the Fed. They believe the central bank will come forward with lower interest rates and probably QE2. They believe this may mean another big melt-up in the stock market before the inevitable sell-off arrives. But as always, nobody knows anything. That's the immediate outlook, so let's step back further. We began writing this diary 20 years ago. Until then, we would Let's try that again. We began writing this diary 20 years ago. Until then, we'd been primarily focused on building our own little publishing business. The company offered financial analysis and investment advice, but we really didn't know much about economics. So we simply applied common sense and tried to connect the dots between what was going on in the financial world and what we could learn from reading the great classical economists, Smith, Bastiat, and all of them. Oh, how our poor, long-suffering, dear readers must have cringed as we stumbled and erred, sometimes wrong, sometimes right, and always in doubt. We didn't know any more than they did, so we discovered the world of economics together. Little by little, the dots came together, but it took a long time. You can't really develop a sensible or useful view of an economy by spending a few years in school or in a library. An economy is much more complicated than that. It's a natural thing, and like all nature's creations, it is infinitely complex, a vast and intricate tableau that can't be fully rendered in numbers, nor reduced to only two dimensions. It's not merely supply and demand, bid and ask, growth or shrinkage, Nor is the economic man at its center anything more than a simpleton's fiction. In theory, he's supposed to make rational decisions about what's best for him. 
In practice, he is a mess of prejudices, misapprehensions, and contradictions. Getting a handle on economics requires more than books and theories. It requires poetry, psychology, and, as Mike Tyson remarked, a punch in the face from time to time. In our case, having begun a business and worked at it for more than a quarter of a century turned out to be useful. So did raising six children and operating a small farm. You can get away with BS when you're talking to adults, but children will see right through it. Economies do not exist in a vacuum, nor in an academic's imagination or a politician's hallucination. They take place in real life with real people, working in limited time and with limited resources and knowledge. In our experience, it takes roughly a lifetime to get even the cloudiest glimpse of it, which is why so much of what you hear from academic economists who have no idea how real wealth is created, or from politicians who have spent their whole lives destroying wealth rather than creating it, is so puerile and hollow. One of the dumb ideas, now making headlines, for example, is that governments should take advantage of extra-low interest rates to borrow money and invest it. Respectable economists believe it, Democrats believe it, Republicans believe it, and the public believes it too. Even if it produces low rates of return, they say, it will pay off in the long run. But anyone who has been in a real business knows that you can go broke many times before the long run finally arrives. Just because you call something an investment doesn't mean it really is an investment, and just because interest rates are low doesn't mean you're not going to lose a lot of money on a dumb project. Producing a profit is hard work. And it... it, I'll start this paragraph again. Producing a profit is hard work. And it involves a whole range of people, ideas, and circumstances that don't always come together as hoped and often are not understood even by the people at the center of the project. People on the assembly lines are not expected to know how their employers make profits, but often the corporate executives themselves... Let me try this again. Here am I. Producing a profit is hard work and it involves a whole range of people, ideas, and circumstances that don't always come together as hoped. And they're not... (laughs) Okay, try again this paragraph. Producing a profit is hard work, and it involves a whole range of people, ideas, and circumstances that don't always come together as hoped, and are often not understood even by the people at the center of the project. People on the assembly line are not expected to know how their employers make profits, but often the corporate executives themselves have no idea either. Nor are even the most diligent and intelligent entrepreneurs able to recognize the obvious flaws in their product. Try this once more. Producing a profit is hard work. And it involves a whole range of people, ideas, and circumstances that don't always come together as hoped and are often not understood even by the people at the center of the project. People on the assembly line are not expected to know how their employers make profits, but often the corporate executives don't know either. 
nor are even the most diligent and intelligent entrepreneurs able to spot the obvious flaws in their own business plans. And as for investors, when the wind is at their backs, they will put their hard-earned savings into the most preposterous schemes ever invented and lose every penny. Government employees with no experience with real business, no skin of their own in the game, no incentive to produce a real profit, no knowledge of the industry they're entering, and conflicting goals that often have nothing to do with getting a decent return on investment are very unlikely to succeed. It's much more likely that the investment funds will be completely wasted. But wait, the economist will say, when the cost of capital is zero, what difference does it make? They might as well try. Well, wrong again. The cost of counterfeit money might be zero, but the real capital, savings, time, resources, is never worth nothing. The feds may be able to print up an infinite quantity of money, but they can't print time. And when time and other resources are wasted, there's no way to get them back. At first, the loss is barely noticed. We live in a rich country, in a rich world. We can afford some boondoggles and some waste. But the nonsense accumulates. As people see others getting paid off by a foolish government, they get in line. The payoffs increase, the claptrap multiplies, and people get poorer. That's another thing you can't learn in school, and almost no professional politician or economist will admit. An economic system is not a machine. There are no levers you can pull to make it work better. There are no not. Let me try these paragraphs again. Paragraph again. And that's another thing that you can't learn in school, and almost no politician or professional economist will admit. And again, try again. And that's another thing you can't learn in school, and almost no politician or professional economist will admit. An economic system is not a machine. There are no levers you can pull to make it work better. There are no knobs that the PhDs at the Fed can turn. Breakthroughs in DNA sequencing or communications technology may produce booms and busts, but they won't change the nature of the system, and they won't allow humans to control it. An economy is a moral system. We don't mean moral in the sense that you will go to hell if you don't save your money. It's moral in the sense of the moral of the story. If you spend more than you earn, borrow too much, get lazy, squander your resources, falsify your prices, counterfeit money, pay people to do nothing, start wars, block trade, overregulate, bad things will happen. Always have, always will. The technical world may march ahead into a glorious future of progress, but the economic world merely goes round the block and slips on the same banana peel every time it comes around the corner. More to come. Thank you.